Welcome to the Seasoned Athlete Podcast, your home for stories, inspiration, and advice from athletes over 40. I'm your host, Robin Leggett. I'm a later in life athlete who became a roller derby skater in my 30s and a runner and obstacle racer in my 40s. Now I'm an athletic aging coach who helps women over 40 experience the massive life benefits that come with exploring your athletic potential at any age and any fitness background. If that fires you up, keep listening. Let's do this. Welcome to the first seasoned athlete episode of 2021. And we are starting off this new year with some extreme fun. One thing I love about doing this podcast is getting to highlight athletes from all kinds of sports. And I'm talking all kinds of sports. And today, I'm featuring my very first skydiver on the show. Yes, today I'm talking to professional skydiver Amy Shemalecki. Amy wanted to be a skydiver since she was in her early teens. She did her first jump when she was finally legally allowed to do so at age 18. And since then, she's made over 19,000 skydives. She's earned five world titles, 10 national titles, 20 world records, and she earned the distinction of becoming the first female member of the Red Bull Air Force skydiving team. I thought Amy's story would be a great one to kick off the new year, a time when our thoughts turn to new goals and new possibilities. And if you have ever said, I could never, when someone brought up the idea of skydiving, you may want to give this episode a listen. Maybe, just maybe, it'll change your mind. So to kick off 2021, here is Amy Shemalecki. Hi, Amy. Are you ready to drop some seasoned athlete knowledge on our listeners today? Yes, Robin. Let's do it. Let's do it. (laughs) All right. I am here with Amy Shemalecki. Just a brief overview. You are a professional skydiver. I'm just going to share some stats that you shared with me because it's at least in in my perspective, it's kind of nutso, Uh, but you have done uh, over 19,000 skydives. Yeah. I like my brain is broken on that. Indoor skydiving tunnel time of 4,000 hours, uh, 20 skydiving world records, five skydiving world titles, uh, 10 skydiving national titles. Uh, So yeah, this is going to be fun. (laughs) So before we dig into that, uh, I'm going to ask you the question I ask all my guests, and that is, what is your age at this moment in time? I'm 44. Awesome. So let's go back to the beginning. What did your early athletic life look like? Did you play any sports when you were a kid? And we'll get into how you got into skydiving and when you got into skydiving, but were you an active or an athletic kid? I was, Robin. I didn't discover athletics until about 14. Um, And when I finally did, something completely changed in me. Like I remember realizing like, wow, I'm good at this. And and before that, I never really had felt good at anything. (laughs) As a a child, I was like, I'm not smart. I'm not, uh," you know, just like kid stuff. And uh, on the field, it really, I felt good. I, I, if things were moving fast, I could really see things more clear and I could move better. Um, I had asthma growing up. I had really, really bad lung problems. So it was, it didn't come easy running around on the field, but something about it, I found like, it, it seemed like I was better than other people. So yeah, the, the, the moment I discovered athletics as a young girl, it, it completely changed my life. 
And what sport were you playing back then? Um, that was field hockey. That was my kind of when I started to realize, wow, like I, I like playing sports. This is really fun. Isn't it cool when you tap into that, when you tap into that side and you, you don't believe that's you beforehand, like you don't see yourself in that way. But then when you allow yourself to explore it and you're like, oh, this actually like lights me up. It's fun. It makes me want to move. You know how that is? So good. Yeah. yeah. That feeling of like really feeling in control, you know, when you're doing your sport and you really are, you feel like you can just do anything. I remember like having that feeling, you know, and I have that from time to time still in skydiving. I'm always trying to like get it all the time, but <laughs> I haven't figured that out yet. But yeah, so it's a, it was such a great, great feeling as an insecure kid, you know, to have these good feelings. I mean, it's, yeah, especially as an insecure kid, like you're craving that feeling everywhere you go and you probably don't think necessarily this is where you're going to find it. But when you do, it's it's a life changer and it sounds like it was a life changer for you. It was, yeah. Yeah. So you were, you were in your early teens when you got into field hockey and eventually into soccer. You were also in your early to mid teens when you first had the inkling of a desire to get into skydiving. Can you tell me about that? Yeah, I was 14 when I heard about two women that had gone skydiving. I, I just heard about these women. I don't even know who they were or who was talking about them, but it, it planted this seed in my head of this, this visual of being able to do flips and a flip and a flip. And it felt like so free, this idea. I didn't know anything about skydiving at all. I just felt like that must feel amazing and free. I tried to go when I was 14. You have to be 18 in the United States. And, um, I tried to go, they were like, no, come back when you're 18. Were you like dressing as an adult? (laughs) I would just call that. I called them. Use a deeper voice. I call them and, and, uh, yeah, they just laughed at me. (laughs) They just laughed. I said, what if I got my, my parents would have never, ever brought me, but I, I tried all these things and I kept calling every year. And then, um, you were determined. Yeah, I really, maybe it changed. Who knows? (laughs) <laughs> well, clearly you were, you were onto something. You were onto something that would set your path for the rest of your life. So, uh, you reach 18 and you get to yep. dive. Tell me about that. Yeah. I went to a skydiving facility with a friend of mine who I still skydive with to this day. He's on the Red Bull Air Force with me. It's kind of a neat twist to the story. Um, he and I went through the student program together. But anyway, that first day when I walked onto a drop zone, which is another name for a skydiving facility, I saw just all these amazing, happy people. And uh, that was in New York. We were, I grew up outside of New York City and people weren't always happy like that. <laughs> In New York, <laughs> you know, and this was like this was in '96. It was a it was a different time. People are happier in New York these days. <laughs> um, so yeah, I walked on the skydiving facility, and I realized that it was something that you could do, that it could be part of your life. Which until that point, I just thought you did it once, or right. you were in the military. Yeah, I didn't really understand. That's what's so that's what's surprising to me because that's always how I viewed it. It's like it's a it's a thing you you do to say you did it. And and that's pretty much it, except in the military, of course. And so when I read your story, I was like, whoa, whoa, wait. Like it's a profession and there are pro teams and you know, and I didn't even think about like 
stunts, like Hollywood stunts. Yeah, there's a whole world there. Yeah. So, um, so go on. Tell me about that that experience. Yeah. Um, and pretty much from that moment on, I, I never looked back. I knew before the first jump that it was something that I would go through and get my student program. It was just clearly something I was going to love. And then the first jump, I, I had to wait all day because I wasn't really organized. I hadn't like made an appointment. I just went there and I waited all day. And then in the plane was so uncomfortable. I remember like, ah, uh, everything was really you're, you're tight in that plane and the gear was kind of digging in me. I did a tandem. I was doing a tandem skydive. So that's when you're with an instructor and I, I, my, my stomach was turning. Cause when you go up in altitude, if, it, if the plane isn't pressurized, you're kind of like your stomach, all the pressure changes in your body. And I, I remember I couldn't wait to get out of the plane and it was so fun. It was, it was just such a exhilarating, amazing feeling. And then, um, you know, the, the parachute opens, which of course you're nervous for, because that's what you think. Like, what, what if the parachute doesn't open, which really isn't a thing in skydiving. It's just right. like what people think it is. Um, and, you know, so at that time, my first skydive, a parachute open, and I was, wow, it was amazing. And um, it was great. I, I loved instantly the sport and the community. Tell me about the community. Tell me about why, why you love it. So I, I was listening to your podcast um, and I, I know you're into roller derby and, mm-hmm. and you were talking about the subculture around it. And it, it just really made me think of skydiving. It's just, it's, it's like-minded people that are enjoying, it's people from all walks of life. You, 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 maybe you're hanging out with a brain surgeon and a lot of times you don't even know what they do for years and it'll be someone in this intense, insane career. And then, you know, I, I was a, a bartender to pay for my skydives um, in, in the first five years when I was becoming a professional skydiver. So you have like really this big um, range of people, but everyone enjoys skydiving. And, and for the most part, everyone is so nice and happy um, there are like everyone, so I come across like a not very nice person, but they totally stick out and the community kind of like, <laughs> um, pushes them to the side or just like, all right, watch out for that person. But, um, <laughs> I am feeling this on many levels. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> it's a total subculture. Once you're in it, there's, I mean, gosh, sometimes I think like I should get some more friends that aren't skydivers. But it right. And I've talked about this in the podcast where it's like, the people in your community are the people who get it. And then there's, I call it the muggles, like the, everybody on the outside that it's like, they always ask you questions that are wrong. Like, so like, how's the rollerblading coming along? And or, do you hit each other with the elbows? I'm like, no, that's against the rules. You don't understand. So I'm sure there's people outside of your skydiving community that ask you weird questions. And you're like, here's that question again. We have a name to, um, we call, they're called woofos. <laughs> because <laughs> and it's short for what for because they, they always say what for what for do you jump out of a perfectly good airplane so it's right kind of to woofo yeah it's uh, similar like why would you put roller skates on and hit each other and fall down on purpose why would you do that i could and it's, and, and it's also the i could never it's like oh wow that's amazing i could never do that like i'm sure you get that as well <laughs> yeah yeah uh, so I totally, I totally understand that, but it, it's, it's always really cool. And I find myself talking about sporting communities on this podcast all the time because it's such a big deal. And especially for people who are nervous about trying something new, the community is the thing that makes it great. It makes you feel supported and even protected. Um, 
And and for those of us who maybe feel like outcasts in everyday life, in 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 you know, wofo life or muggle life or whatever you want to call it, like you feel accepted and in this community. And that's why it's such a big deal. So I'm a big, big fan. And I love that it exists in every sport, like every sport has their community. So I think that's really cool. So I would love to move towards how you, how you ended up becoming professional, because I think that's, again, it's like something people don't necessarily understand that, 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 you can be a professional skydiver. What does it mean to be a professional skydiver? What does that entail? So there are a lot of different avenues you could take to become professional in the sport. Believe it or not, it really is. There's a lot of opportunities and different roads you could take. And it's also a nice sport that you can do into your 40s and 50s. I have friends that are still going strong in their 60s as professional skydivers. So it's really a great sport. I have one friend that was on his way to being a professional soccer player. And he, he saw, he was skydiving too. And he saw that as a more, like more longevity, like he could do it for longer. So he, he decided to take that path instead. He's, he's excellent. He's in his uh, mid thirties now, but the different professions you can do. Um, so I have right now three main aspects to my hustle. Um, I work with Red Bull. Um, so they sponsor me. I'm part of the Red Bull Air Force. And that's about a third of what I do. We do demonstration jumps and we do project-based social media projects and um, VIP tandem experiences. So we'll take VIPs on tandems. And it's it, they're such an amazing company to work for. They hired me when I was 36 um, a lot of people think that Red Bull doesn't work with older athletes, but yeah, they hired me when I was 36. And you're the, you're the second Red Bull athlete that I've had on the show. I had a Red Bull diver on when I first started and she was, I think in her forties. So I love that. I love that Red Bull doesn't look at age or doesn't look, doesn't have a restricted view on age, um, and brings that age diversity into who they bring onto their teams. I think that's really cool. And especially in a sport like skydiving, because you can't do it until you're 18, you can't have a young person that can do the jobs that we do. You, you right. have to be experienced. So, um, yeah. And so that's uh, one thing. And then I also, um, do, I coach military. So I coach, um, different groups within the military. And that's also a, a big part of what I do. And then I work with, a um, nonprofit called the Women's Skydiving Network. And they, we have two major projects going on right now. One is called Project 19. It's a world record skydive in celebration of the 19th Amendment, the 100 year anniversary of the 19th Amendment, um, which was this year. We've been postponing it because 2020, mm -hmm. <laughs> but, but we're still doing it. Um, it's a, it's a great endeavor. Um, this nonprofit, the women's skydiving network, they do lots of amazing projects for women within skydiving. And I work with them a lot. So project 19, we've been working on for a little over a year now. And, um, we're, we're still working on, you know, when, when we can, we're going to do the world record, but it's, a, it's a huge endeavor getting a hundred women together to break a world record skydive. So what does that, what, what, what will that look like to break a world record skydive? 
just so we can get a visual. Yeah. So there, there's lots of different world record types of world records you can do. This one in skydiving, this one specifically is we are all jumping. It's women all around the world. And we're jumping out of five different aircraft. And there's about 20 of us in each aircraft and then a few camera people. And we all jump out of the aircraft. It's all synchronized. There's communication systems, lots of rehearsal on the ground, years of prep. But you also have to have years prior to that to even get to that point where you can start prepping for it as an individual athlete. So 100 women jumping out of five different aircraft. And then we join together towards the center of, we call the center of the formation. It's the base. So there'll, there'll be we're going to do an eight way base. So what that means is eight girls holding hands in a, in a round, we look like a circle of women holding hands and then all the other women come out and we're, we're from, we got come out of the center airplane and then all the women kind of flock in towards the center. And the goal is to all join hands in a head down orientation. So what that means is our heads are towards the ground and our feet are towards the sky, which is different than your traditional skydive where you start on your belly. Mm -hmm. If you can imagine, there's a lot less surface area. So we're going when, when you're head down. So we're going faster. We're going about 150 miles an hour. It's a, it's a harder position because you don't learn it at first, but once you get used to that position, it becomes um, just as easy as flying on your belly. Although it takes a while to get to that point. So yeah, this is a massive coordination and undertaking. Yeah, it really is big. And it takes a, the women on the skydive there, there's some of the best skydivers from all around the world. It takes, it takes a long time to get to the point where you can do that. So that's, that's really cool. It's super fun. So you're looking at probably next year, hopefully. Yeah, we'll see the goal right now. We're, we're aiming for October November, 2021, but we'll have to see how the vaccines go where not only do, does it have to be safe for international travel, but it has to be safe with enough time for everyone to get current. Again, a lot of people are on current in this type of skydiving and skydiving in general. A lot of people don't have money. So yeah, we'll see. We're taking it one day at a time, basically. (laughs) I love it though. I think I, and I get that it's like, it's a, a lot of coordination and a lot of time off for people to, to get back into the game again. But uh, yeah. Like, and like, I feel like people are a little bit traumatized in general. Everyone. Well, yeah. So much. Yeah. We just have to be like, hello world. Like, yeah. <laughs> it's okay out there. <laughs> but but I, I imagine getting back out there might be healing in a way because you know what it does for you. You know what it's always done for you. And hopefully to get back into it, we'll, we'll give you that feeling again. Yeah. Get the juices going. Get the juices going. (laughs) So, um, what I love about your story is that, uh, in certain ways you are a pioneer. You're the, the only woman or the first and only female on the Red Bull Air Force. Um, you are involved in women's skydiving efforts, like the women's skydiving network. And you're the co-captain of the highlight pro skydiving team, which is a women's only skydiving team. Um, Tell me about about your experience as a woman skydiver, uh, as perhaps a pioneer and as somebody who connects other women, it looks like, and and supports and lifts up other women as you are jumping out of planes. Can you talk about that a little bit? Yeah, it's always been a drive of mine from the beginning. There are not a lot of women that skydive. 
at all. And I always used to wonder why. And I would I would hang around the drop zone and it'd be like me and and 20 guys. That that was kind of that is still a lot of the norm, although it has changed in the last um 25 years since I started skydiving. But I always used to think, gosh, it'd be nice to jump with a, a bunch of women. So even as a very young skydiver, I would get groups of women together and say, hey, let's all do a jump together. And there was always like more room in the plane and, and it always smelled better. And How about that? Always that way. <laughs> and it, it really was um, just a different feeling because it was so rare to get to do it. You know, it was, uh, it was just usually a lot of, a lot of men, which I'm totally not complaining. Um, it's skydiving. I mean, that was also kind of fun. Let's face it as an 18 year old girl. That was fun. Sure. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Fairly athletic, good looking guys. Right? Yeah. Yeah. It was, uh, I'm not, I'm not complaining, but it was really fun to get the girls together and that, that had always been a drive. And I always thought, wow, I, I, do do girls not realize they could do this or do they not realize it's fun? What, you know, what is it really? As I get older, you know, I have, I have more solid theories about that, but it was always a drive of mine. And it also became apparent that other people wanted to do it. So it was an easy way, not only to do things that got me motivated and were helpful to other women because it was inspiring when people saw women reaching certain goals and making these uh, great things happen. It was also something I could hustle, something I could do and make a business out of. So it was kind of a easy, you know, clear path for me. Yeah. Win-win. Yes. Yeah. And it's, it's nice to help other women see the side of themselves that you were able to see at a, at a much younger age, but this is something that, that I really stand for too, as a, as a coach and part of this podcast is that I want to help women see this in themselves, see this potential in themselves. When many women have been conditioned to think that things like skydiving are just not for them. And so to be able to open up that opportunity and you're doing it by example, you're showing what's possible and then you're helping to create opportunities for other women. I think it's so important because we are underrepresented in many sports. It's just how it is. So I'm with you on that. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. It's like, gosh, do they not know it's fun? Right. So much conditioning. I, I remember as a child thinking that I could not be a professional athlete as an adult, that it wasn't something accessible to women. And it was terrifying to me because I was like, it's the only thing I'm good at. Like, what What am I going to (laughs) do? So I'm glad I was wrong. Yeah, I'm glad you were wrong too. And and these opportunities exist and sometimes you, you have to look around and find them. And sometimes it's about you. It's about believing that it's possible for you or it's something you're allowed to pursue. And I've talked to, you know, I've talked to women of all ages. I just talked to a 96 year old on this podcast. Opportunities did not exist for her when she was younger. Like that's legitimate, but you know, we're at a different time now. And yet we have, you know, decades of our own conditioning and our parents' conditioning that we are working through to believe, to allow ourselves to believe that we can do these hard things, these challenging things that ultimately can be fun things that we get to have fun. How about that? Yeah, it's, so, it's so true. My grandma used to say that when I would tell her 
my experiences. And I'd come home and say, Grandma, I jumped over New York City and I landed in the Hudson. And she would say, I was born too soon. Like, <laughs> she was so cute about it. Right? <laughs> but it's true. It's a, it's a special time. I'm so glad I'm an athlete in my 40s and not a woman in the 1940s. Right. <laughs> Amen. Amen to that. Yeah. So um, one of the avenues that you've been able to pursue is film and stunt work. Um, so I would love to hear some stories about that, like how you got into stunt work, what it's like to do what you do on a movie set. Can you talk about that? Yeah, I I feel like a lot of my career, I can't deny it, it has to do with luck. I met some really amazing people early on in my career and they got to kind of watch me grow, including the captain of the Red Bull Air Force and a lot of the people that found like the people that started the Red Bull Air Force. And they also do a lot of stuff in Hollywood. They're based in LA and they do a lot of cool stunts. So Generally, if I fit the description, so it's got to be kind of a blonde woman around my height, um, around my build, it, I, I will get that job. Um, so that, that doesn't always happen, but when it does, it's so awesome because Hollywood, anything you do where it's like a big stunt like that, it's always so challenging and you're with a group of extreme professionals yeah. I mean, they have to, it has to be safe. Like <laughs> there cannot be any issues on a Hollywood set. And you're working with woofos, right? So yes, there is also that. <laughs> so you, know, you have to keep them in check. So you have to be like tough enough to say, Hey, we can't do that, but this is what we can do instead of trying to do something that really you're just like everything like, inside. She's like, don't do that. Yeah. This like, actually doesn't exist. Like, yeah, yeah. And we, I had similar experiences in roller derby. We had, you know, because we're in Los Angeles, we yeah. had a lot of television productions that wanted to do roller derby their way. And there's a lot of push and pull, whether it's like, okay, we're going to do it your way, but this is not what roller derby looks like, or here's how we think it should be done. But with you, I think it's more important because there are higher stakes. Yeah, there. Well, I, I would imagine the roller derby, there's constant wear and tear and little injuries that are. Oh, yeah. Little and big. Little and yeah, big. <laughs> yeah. In skydiving, the majority of injuries, I would say the most common is broken ankles or like the majority of the wear and tear is like, I, I can't. Sometimes my shoulder, I'm just like, ah, are you still there? Right. Is that <laughs> so just from, is. from landing primarily? Um, I think a bit from landing when you're pulling down on the controls. Um, I think it has to do with that. And uh, I did the, I was highly competitive in a discipline called vertical formation skydiving, where we were head down, like I was describing before. So we're going fast and we're doing these formations as quick as we can. So we're pulling and pushing on each other. It's four people. It's just really, I uh, was taxing on my shoulders and yeah, I think it's just wear and tear. And yeah. What, what was your favorite experience in your, in your stunt career? In my stunt career. So if I were to pick something when it, what it had to do with Hollywood specifically, um, I did, uh, I was in, um, San Andreas, uh, was the earthquake movie with Dwayne Johnson. Oh yeah. But I always heard he was really nice. I was like, he's a really nice guy. He is such a nice guy. It, 
like, I couldn't believe it how nice he was. I played his wife for a skydiving stunt and uh, we got to, we were doing tandems. It wasn't even a hard stunt for me. I just basically had to be a tandem passenger. Um, But where we were landing was really intense. We were landing in AT&T ballpark in San Francisco. Okay. Yes. The the guy, the, the stunt for the, um, a stunt double for Dwayne Johnson was really good. So I felt comfortable about that, but still there was zero room for error. It was just, that was so beautiful and exciting to land in that ballpark and, and meet the rock, which like, God, he's just really like to me, people that are that famous and are able to manage the fame and yes. still be totally nice. I just don't even know how they do that. It's yeah. a, it's amazing. It's just, it's, I, I think it's just a part of them. Like it has to be a part of you deep down. Yeah. yeah. Down like the patient. Humility everybody. and gratitude. And, and there are certain celebrities that get that reputation. You hear their name over and over and over again for a reason because they are that nice, you know? It's, it's mind blowing. Really. Yeah. Really. Well, it's good to hear. I like I like hearing firsthand <laughs> accounts of nice celebrities, like yeah, especially giant ones. Like, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So that that stunt wasn't so intense. I didn't have to do much, but the whole experience was so beautiful because jumping into cities is so rare and only real. Like you're so fortunate if you get to do it. And so another stunt that I did, I'm, I'm actually planning more. I can't, I can't talk too much of about. Of course them. not. Of course, future plans for cities, but um, I got to. Uh, jump, fly a wingsuit formation with my Red Bull teammates past the Freedom Tower on the opening day of the Freedom Mm. Tower, um, which I grew up just outside of New York City. So it really was special for me. And you don't usually get to jump in the city in Manhattan. You're not by law, you're not allowed to land parachutes in New York City. So we landed on a barge in the Hudson River. So it was really it was a really beautiful experience with them. All, my teammates, most of them had grown up also in New York. So we kind of, it was special. Yeah. My yeah. mom was on the ground and. Oh, I love that. And I like that, you know, the, the two things you mentioned, it's like beautiful views and I don't know, you don't necessarily think about that. I mean, I, I like those of us out on the outside, it's like every skydiving is an amazing view. Every skydive is an amazing view, right? Cause you're seeing the world, world in a different way, but the talking about the landings in like very specific places and like AT&T park, for example, is a ballpark that's on the water. So it's just, it's one of the cooler locations for a ballpark and then to land inside of it. And then of course on a barge in the Hudson river, like that's amazing too. So cool. Um, so at this point I want to talk, uh, you know, we did talk about a couple highs in, in the Hollywood side. Um, but I like to talk about highs and lows of athletic careers as a whole. So, uh, what would you consider to be maybe the worst, um, or your least favorite jump, uh, or the one that just didn't go the way you would like it to go? You know, every, every sport has highs and lows like that. What would that look like? Or what did that look like for you? I feel like. A, a marathon. You do extreme endurance races. I do. I've yeah. done an ultra Spartan. I ran a marathon this year, so somewhat extreme. So okay, I've never done the most I've ever ran is five miles, and <laughs> so okay. But I would imagine there's like this. You are like, why am I doing this? Oh yeah, it sucks. 
Yeah, like mile, mile like 15 to 22 in a marathon, basically. I'm never doing this again. And then <laughs> and then you finish, right? And you're like, that was the greatest thing ever. And then you, you remember it all. And it's just like, wow, it's about the reward, right? Right, so right. World records are a little bit like that. They're they're brutal through the process. They're like, you're, it's freezing. You're jumping over and over again. You're doing the same skydive over and over again. So you're just kind of, people are getting exhausted. You're having to cut people from the skydive because they're not performing, which is always heartbreaking. And then like, you know, but like the whole thing, right. It's like, you're just like, it's about the journey. Like every jump, we're getting better, but really, you know, it's, it's like, it is about the journey. But then like when you're done with it and like you have a world record and now that's in the record books, like that's where the reward is. And you're like, oh, okay. Cause every, every world record, I'm like, I'm not doing this again. This is my life. Yeah. I didn't realize even with world records that you do have to do it over and over and over again and get the formation exactly right. And you know, you're, you're the, the way you were telling the story reminded me, I watched uh, cheer on Netflix. I don't know if you watched that. But it's like the same story. Like they had they had a routine and only certain people were going to get to do it in the end, but everybody had to practice. And then some people got the heartbreaking cut and it's part of the experience, but it sucks and it's exhausting and everybody's broken yeah. by the end, but then they yeah. nail that routine and it's worth everything. You yeah. Know? Yeah. It really, it's a, it's an interesting part of skydiving and that, yeah, and it is funny because um, my main business partner that I do a row records with, she's always like, what are we, this is the last one. We're like, yes. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> we love it so much. You know, that's just an interesting aspect to my experience. But um, I would say the, the worst skydive that I've ever done is pretty clear. It popped in my head right away. It was kind of an embarrassing moment. I broke my ankle in free fall. This was this was a long time ago. I was a young jumper, but I was just I was just up and coming where people started hiring me to teach them. Um, there's something called load organizing where they hire someone to come to a skydiving event and take groups of experienced skydivers and take them on a eight way jump or and organize it all. So you say, hey, you're going to go here, you're going to go here, you're going to do this, and we're all going to jump together, and you kind of like plan the whole thing and you do that over and over again throughout the event. It was something I really wanted to do as a, as a job. And I was just starting to get hired and I was stoked. And I was, I was doing it for not a lot of money because I was trying to get in. And I, I'm at this event in Texas. I organized the skydive and I was going too fast in hindsight. As soon as, as soon as the accident happened, I was like, ah, I like, you I saw that coming, but you know, it was a lesson I needed to learn. Um, I was moving fast and I was, I was trying to do things that were above my skill set. And I planned a skydive that was above my skill set. And I crashed into someone and I could have killed him. It was horrible. It was horrible. The guy was so nice. He, he was so nice, an older gentleman. And he was like, you, you hit the right person. He was so nice. Yeah, was <laughs> You're lucky you hit me. <laughs> he was so nice. And, um, yeah. And I, I broke my ankle. You know, yeah. That was just a terrible moment. So you were in the air. You hit this guy, broke your ankle. Like, yeah. Yeah, I just basically That's a crazy thought for me cuz you still had you still had to land. <laughs> yeah, I know. Yeah, luckily I had a very smooth and consistent headwind. Um 
so it was easier. It was like the landing was uh, like a green circle landing. Like if you're talking about like ski runs, it was a really okay. I had a really fast parachute too. And um, so yeah, it's land with one, with one foot, but the, the wind conditions was really made it easy. Yeah. Did it get in your head? Like once that happened, did it, did it, it mess did. with your head? My recovery, I, to tell you the truth, I haven't been the same since then, but not in a bad way. Um, it, it slowed down my, it slowed down my learning curve a bit, but that's because I had never felt pain like that, or I had never really wow, I could have killed that guy. I mean, there, there was that physical pain and there was emotional pain and, right. and like a reality check. Yeah. yeah I don't want to do that. It was, I, I don't want to do that again. So I kind of slowed down, which I, I had to. Yeah. What was the biggest lesson you learned from that experience aside from slowing down? Or maybe that was. Yeah, that, that really was, it was don't bite off more than you could chew. Right. And you don't have to, I was such like, young and eager. And I was just like the yes girl. Like I could do yeah anything, anything. I remember even going out. of. I remember so clear jumping out of the plane for that skydive. And in my head, I was like, you, you don't know how to do this. Well, how are you doing? What are you doing? <laughs> <laughs> so stupid, you know, in hindsight, you think, of course, it seems so, so such a no brainer, but I thought maybe I could do it. Right. And uh, yeah, the consequences weren't, were bad, but also lucky in a way. Cause it was just a broken. Yeah. It broken helped, right. It could have been worse and yeah. it helped to inform your experience going forward. Yeah. yeah. And on the other side, what was your favorite jump? What was the best one you've ever done? Gosh, it's a tough question. I, I mean, you have had 19,000. So many amazing ones. I mean, even just like, it's so hard to say, I mean, that the jump that I described over New York city was obviously a highlight. It's such a amazing experience to get to do things like that with your friends and these beautiful spots and technical. It was, it wasn't an easy jump. We had to be, you don't want to land in the Hudson river instead of the barge and nothing was easy about that. So that was all really exciting. Um, but then there's things like when I go with my father doing a tandem skydive or my sister, you know, th those are such special moments and, um, those are some of my very, very favorite moments as well. Right. When you get to bring people you love or people you care about into your sport and into your experience and share that with yeah. them. That's yeah. cool. That's cool. So you're, you've been doing this a long time. You're in your forties now. What type of unique challenges are you finding yourself experiencing, uh, now that you are in your forties and doing this at the level you're doing it? So I, I was, really uh, afraid getting a bit older. I thought, gosh, how much longer can I do this? And am I still valuable? I wasn't sure, you know, I was so used to still like this concept of like, oh, you gotta, gotta be young and you gotta be, you know, like mm, when I started reaching the age where I was like, oh, I'm not a baby making machine anymore. <laughs> like I'm just, uh, you know, like, wait a minute. But then there was like this awakening in my forties where I'm like, wow, like I still have a lot to offer. Not only like I have so much experience to offer people. And although I've had to refine my performance and my strategy where I'm not doing 
12, 15 skydives a day, every day training for world championships. Like I used to, I'm bringing all my skill set and all my connections, including like my organizational skill set on the ground with getting jobs done and you know, answering the emails, making phone calls and, you know, do, doing all that work. And then in the sky as well, all the experience I have. So, I, so I really, um, it has been nice that like discovery of how much you do have to offer. I would say on the physical side, obviously any athlete in their forties knows that it gets harder. Like you have to take more care of yourself (laughs) big time. Um, I used to, I mean, it would be like, I could stay up and hang out and socialize and have beers and then just like travel across the world and get somewhere and then go to work the next day. And, And now I'm like, all right, I have to really plan more strategically, make sure I'm hydrated, make sure I'm rested. And then, okay, most athletes, would know this. I, I wish I knew this when I was younger and really was disciplined about it in my, because it would be a different game, but you know, extreme sport athletes, it's not, it's not like running. It's, there's obvious differences, right. From being a triathlete or something. I'm, you know, my, my body, yeah, I need my body to be in shape to a point, but I can mm-hmm. still eat donuts, you know, all the time. <laughs> Um, but the, the healing, like the little wear and tear and stuff in skydiving, it's rough on you. And as you get older, it's harder. Yeah. What I, what I love about what you just said, there's a universal universality to it that no matter what sport you do, like as you age, you can't just neglect sleep and stay up all the time and, and eat whatever you want and, and not get rest. Like there's certain things that the body craves as you get older. And especially if you want to perform as an athlete at any level. And so I'm hearing your story about, it's like, well, I can't just travel and party and, and hang and, and, and all that. Like my body needs rest. My body needs recovery. And I feel it if it doesn't get what it needs. And so I'm hearing your story and I'm nodding along because I'm like, that's me too. That's me too. But for a completely different sport, but it's just something that happens as you get older is like, you start to lose the desire to even do the things you used to do because you like feeling the way you need to feel to perform in your sport. And in order to do that, you need to get the rest. You need to recover. You need to take care of yourself. So I I like that it is universal. Yeah. And I, and I, I do say that with hesitation because there's part of me that, you know, I've had good times my whole life. Like I've traveled and had fun, but you know, I really admire people that take athleticism to a science and really like take care of their, their physical form. Um, but you know, that's the beauty of your podcast too. Like you could do that at any time. You can start to do that at any time. And, and man, at at, at this age, doing a a sport every day, there's no better time. Yeah. 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 And for a lot of different reasons, some people get more time freedom at this age because kids are grown. You know, uh, some people just have a greater desire to test themselves and challenge themselves as they reach milestones. And, and we can do what you said about, you know, treating, treating the sport like science, treating your body, doing the scientific element of food and, uh, and activity and rest and recovery and all that. But you don't have to go all, all in on that because we are mostly still 
everyday human beings with lives that are outside of our sports, uh, many of us. So we could do various levels of that, but you create your own experience. Yeah. I kind of recently, I think it was really COVID in this year because I had the opportunity to actually get rest. I didn't realize how tired I was. I have totally had an awakening this year where I'm like, wow, I feel better if I'm rested and (laughs) I stop drinking and Mm -hmm. I, it's just like, I feel so much better. It's, it's great. Yeah. Yeah. There's a level of autopilot that we get on in our lives. And then when you are forced to get out of that autopilot, you, you have a greater level of awareness as to how things affect you every day, how eating certain things affects you, how drinking certain things affect you, how not getting sleep affects you. Yeah. You just, you, you, you spend a lot of time living with it and not noticing until you yeah, see the other like, side. Right. It's obvious in hindsight, but right. <laughs> was it? Cause I was going on adrenaline and everything mm-hmm. was, I was having a great time and getting a lot of cool stuff done. Um, but I was sick a lot and you know, I just, uh, now, now the key is right as as the world starts to open up, and you know, I've I've stayed pretty busy. But the key, like when it starts to get real busy again, I need to pick and choose wisely. And yeah, hopefully there are learning moments from this time that you can take into life in whatever twenty twenty one looks like. Yeah, totally. So tell me, um, if people are listening and they're like, "Oh, cool, skydiving! Like this is something I maybe want to do," but it sounds crazy or it always sounded crazy. Uh, what advice would you have for people who are maybe thinking about giving it a try, but maybe they are scared or what for, you know, thinking, what, <laughs> maybe they're, they're thinking, why would you do that? Why would you jump out of a perfectly good plane? Uh, what advice would you have for those people? So I think if you're one of those people that is curious and kind of wants to try it, that you should try it. You should go and do it. You're gonna, you're gonna be stoked and it's going to be scary, but that's part of the fun and that's part of the reward. And it feels so good to do something that you didn't think you could do. So I highly, highly recommend it to anyone that's like, gosh, I thought I'd like to try that. Like, but on the other hand, if you're one of those people that is like, no, I, it's not for me. Like, that's my mom. No, <laughs> like, no, it is not for her. She, yeah, and, and that's okay too. It's, yeah. it's skydiving. It's, you know, it's fun. And if, and if you yeah. think it's going to be, if you think you want to, you're going to enjoy it. Go yeah. do it. And I think you made a good point that again is universal, like doing something that you never thought you could do. That could be different things for different people, but you and I both see the reward in doing things that you never thought you could do, never in your wildest dreams imagined you would do. I like to talk about young, your younger you, and of course, younger you has been thinking about skydiving. You know, you've, younger you always knew this was going to be the path, but for many people, like I like to look back, it's like, what would younger you think of you now? And so, you know, it, if people are listening and they're thinking, maybe I do want to try jumping out of a plane, or maybe I do want to try something else that I never thought was possible for myself. You would blow the mind of younger you if you just do it. And that's a great feeling. It's a really cool feeling to think like a a different version of me um, would think this is crazy, but how cool that I did it. So what is, what is the thing that younger you would be surprised that you have done? Well, it never, I never had a plan. I didn't, um, 
when I finished college, I thought I'm going to take one year. I'll move to this place called Sky Arizona. Uh, I'm going to take one year off. Like, I don't know, I guess people call it a gap year. And I just thought then I'll get a real job, which I didn't really know what that meant. But one year turned into two, three. This has been 25 years now. (laughs) (laughs) And I still live one mile down the road from Sky Arizona. So (laughs) I think I think younger me would would be happy would be happy yeah um I always like I had this really strong faith that things would be okay um but I didn't think it would be this epic so that's pretty epic and you know it's it's fun to be able to say like I lived a cool life like I, I you know that's what I can say about roller derby like no matter what I do for the rest of my life just the, the 11 years I played roller derby it's like that's pretty cool <laughs> I, I did a really cool thing for a bunch of years and it's led me to do other cool things. And I have lived a fun life and it sounds like you could say the same. Yeah. And also influence other people. You, you never really know what ripples effect of effect your actions can have. So, and there, there's something really beautiful in that, but um, I remember seeing other women when I was a young skydiver, um, on, on top of podiums, it was rare, but you know, you saw it and, and they really planted seeds. And, uh, now, now you see it more and more. Um, I talk to young kids often as part of the highlight pro skydiving team and it, they're, it's different. The generation now is different. They're like, of course we can do anything we want. Right. <laughs> yeah. Well, that's, that's a benefit to, the, <laughs> to their age, but there are a lot of people out there and a lot of women out there that, may feel trapped in, in a mundane existence and don't believe that they can do anything they want or don't believe that they could do scary things, cool things, fun things. And so I'm glad that you're out there influencing and showing through your life and your example what can be possible if you allow yourself the experience, allow yourself to take that first step, whatever that looks like for you. Yeah. Instead of a lot of people make that agreement, right? Like a woman will think, oh, I have to have children and I have to give my parents grandchildren. And, um, and I, I, there's nothing wrong with that at all. But I think that as, as women and adults in general, men and women, um, when, and if we have children is a important choice that I feel each person needs to be in complete, each woman needs to be in complete control of, Yes, um, because that opens up like if, and when you're going to have children, if you can family plan, completely, if you have access to that completely, it opens up a lot of doors. Mm -hmm. And then the other aspect is if you, a lot of times women end up in a home environment doing the free type of work where they, you know, they have to do all of the cleaning and cooking and the raising family and the taking care of the elderly people. And it often always has, and still does fall on a women on women. So the more supportive men can be in that environment where men and women take on the work together. Um, it's, uh, yeah, it's better and better for women. So I just, you know, it, as you're growing and you think like it has to be this way because this is what society says women need to do, you know, it, it's not like that anymore. And it doesn't yeah. have to be, sometimes you have to be brave enough to say like, Hey, no, that's not yeah. what I'm going to do. This is what I want. Um, but it's worth it. <laughs> yeah. And if it is what you want, it's still important to have your own experiences and the things that light you up beyond 
what's happening with the family because you you know it's often about living in service to your family doing the free work as you said but it, you could still have these experiences for yourself that light you up i always talk about do the things that light you up and figuring out ways to integrate those experiences and working with your partner if you have a partner to allow that for yourself because that that's it's important you can you can have the family or choose not to but what lights you up? What can light you up? You can still do things that you never thought were possible for yourself and experience the rewards that come from that. So, you know, that the more people who are out there showing the example of what's possible, the better. And especially those of us who are in our 40s, 50s and beyond to say, hey, it's it's not too late. You're never too old and it's, and it's never too late. So yeah. thank you for doing what you do. That's the long way of saying thank you for doing what you do. So what are your competitive plans for the future? I know things are mostly on hold this year, but what are, do you have your eye on, on anything going into 2021 beyond the, the project 19? So Red Bull is still going strong and things have slowed down for us. You know, we can't do anything where we're, we obviously don't want to do anything where we're putting people at risk as far as coronavirus. So we've shifted our gears a lot um, and modified along with the rest of the world. You know, we got creative. Um, on the Highlight Pro Skydiving team, we're hoping to connect more and more with other female sports. And we've been working on kind of building connections and getting to know um, people. We have tremendous support from the Women's Skydiving Network. So we're able to skydive into the start of women's soccer professional soccer games. Um, but we're just like, we, we kind of have some of the connections, but we're just like, Hey, check us out. So we're working on that. Cause that's part of our, our dream is to do demonstration jumps, um, in partnership with other professional female sports. Yeah. And that's kind of our goal for 2021 is to build those connections and make those happen for the future. Um, there's power in that, right? When women kind of work together, yes. professional, professional female athletes, yeah, and support each other. So I love, I love that. I love women's sports lifting each other up and working in coordination with each other. That's really cool. Well, we're getting ready to wrap up, but before we do, I have one question that I like to ask in closing, and that is, if you could leave us with one parting piece of wisdom, what would that be? I would say, be open-minded. That, that open-mindedness, I mean, extreme open-mindedness, um, you know, be open-minded and that, that growth mindset. I, I can't imagine a life without trying to wake up every day and be open-minded to being a better person. Yeah. Yeah. Just being a little bit better every day, right? Yeah. Grow. Yeah. It's so yeah. fun. And, and you really, really like, don't limit yourself that, that open-mindedness will, I just recently read uh, David Goggins' book. Um, have you read that? Can't I haven't. It? I haven't read it, but I've I've heard it. Blew about me it. away. It was so good. He talks about that open mindedness and uh, how it changed, you know, his life. And it really is. It's so there's so much more possible than you think. Yeah. And I think we, you know, as humans, we just have this unlimited capacity for growth. This is something I talk about a lot, whether it's physical ability, like, you know, I wasn't born being able to run a marathon. In fact, for many, many years, I didn't think it was possible. Uh, but, you know, you start very small, right? You start with going out the door and walking for uh, to the end of the block. And then you just see, you, you grow and you grow and you grow little by little. And I go to 5k, 10k, half marathon. And then finally in 2020, 
one of the last races that existed <laughs> in 2020 was the LA marathon. And I, and I was able to say, I did that. We have this unlimited capacity for growth and that's mental too, mental and emotional growth as well. And we need to allow that for ourselves. We need to pursue that for ourselves and not be in a fixed state where life is what it is. And I'm just going through the motions. There are small things we can do every single day to just get a little bit better, whether it's learning a new skill, reading a book, practicing a sport getting up and moving, just getting a little bit better every day. There's rewards in this, those, that like incremental improvement. And so that's a powerful statement. I love it. Well, Amy, thank you so much uh, for being on the podcast. How can people learn more about you online? So I'm on Instagram and on Facebook. Amy Shemalecki is my handle for both Instagram and Facebook. So yeah, you can check out my athlete pages there. And then from there, you can find the other pages like the Highlight Course Skydiving Team page and the Red Bull Air Force team pages and stuff. But And we'll have that in our show notes because your name is spelled a little differently than it sounds. So <laughs> we'll have that on uh, seasonedathlete.me on the show notes for this episode, wherever you're listening to it, we'll put that information in so people can find you and follow you and get to know you. Uh, Amy, thank you so, so much for being on the Seasoned Athlete Podcast. You are my first skydiver. Yeah. I've been doing this podcast since 2018, and I have yet to have a skydiver. So I get to check another sport off the list of sports. Thank you. I need to actually start making the list of sports and then check everybody else. Yes, yeah, you got to have the interesting because there's, there's some weird ones out there, huh? Yeah. Oh, I've, I've had a lot of different, different kinds of sports, but um, skydiving, you are the first. So you get to be a pioneer. On season athletes. So thank you so much for sharing your story, sharing your wisdom, sharing your inspiration and advice. And hopefully the people listening will become a little more curious. We'll think about how they can grow a little bit and get a little bit better each day or do something that you never thought was possible for yourself. If somebody just takes one small action, then we will have done our job here today. So thank you again for being on the podcast. Thank you, Robin. Have a great day. Now is the time to take the inspiration you get from this podcast and do something with it. And a great way to start is by joining my free Ageless Women Athletes Facebook community. This group is for women over 40 or those who are almost there who want to stop feeling old and start living ageless. Inside the group, you'll meet women like you who will lift you up when you're down and cheer on your every win. You'll also get immediate access to videos, trainings, and tools to help you move well, feel great, and pursue the types of goals you never imagined were possible for yourself. In short, the Ageless Women Athletes community is here to help you age like an athlete, however that looks for you. To join, go to seasonedathlete.me and tap the bar at the top of the page. We'll see you inside the group.